And one of the things I've used on the Google is uh, to pull up maps. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Hanningson. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you for rejoining us this week. Uh, now, before the break, we were talking about what's really dominating the news right now, uh, the oil tanker wars. And right now, uh, Britain, uh, the UK, seems to be playing a central role in this, what can only be described anyway from our point of view as the sort of antagonizing role or sort of a henchman for Washington in their sort of provocations with the uh, country of Iran. Now, our next guest, uh, hopefully, will be able to give us a little bit more insight on this because it's getting incredibly complicated by the hour. And he is author of the book Bombs for Peace, NATO's Humanitarian War on Yugoslavia, and his name is George Samueli. And he's joining us on the live link right now. Hello, George. How are you? Hello, Patrick. How are you? Very well, very well. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this week, George. So straight off the bat, George, a couple of weeks ago, we saw something that, in my mind, uh, was really unprecedented, and that was British Royal Marines seizing an oil tanker off the coast of Gibraltar with two million barrels of oil in it, presumably Iranian oil, heading for the Republic of Syria. Syria is under sanctions. It's under embargo, so it definitely needs fuel. Uh, Iran is supplying that, and the British seized it and cited EU sanctions, violations, or something spurious like this. So there's an argument there as well as to whether that's a legitimate claim by the British. And then this last couple of days, we have the controversy of uh, Iran seeming to retaliate or, or, or policing maritime lanes under international law. I'm not sure what's happened. This uh, British tanker appears to have been seized by the Iranian authorities. So, first of all, George, tell us this, this story, how, how this began from your point of view, how, how you've seen this story, and then if you can make sense out of this latest chapter of what's going on here in, in the tit-for-tat tanker wars. Well, as you've just uh, described it, uh, what happened was that on July the 4th, the Royal Marines seized an Iranian oil tanker off the Rock of Gibraltar, and the rationale that the British government uh, presented was that Iran was um, transporting oil for Syria and that Syria is under an oil embargo by the, by the European Union. Now, there's a lot wrong with this um, uh, rationale because, first of all, um, an embargo by the U European Union is a unilateral embargo. It's not an embargo imposed by the United Nations Security Council, and therefore it really has no validity under international law. So um, to go around enforcing a, a unilateral embargo that is um, non-binding on the rest of the world is is an act uh, you know, <laughs> of really outrageous um, brigandry. Secondly, Iran is not a member of the European Union, so nothing that uh, European Union uh, member states have decided among themselves is binding on Iran. Iran, by definition, cannot be party to an agreement that it had not negotiated and that it had not signed. So again, 
it's an outrageous attack on Iran for not uh, fulfilling some sort of um, uh, an agreement that it had never engaged uh, in. And thirdly, the oil embargo itself is, of course, a complete fraud because the EU had not placed an embargo on imports of crude oil on the part of Syria. Syria is still free to import crude oil. That's, that's, there, there's, no, there's no problem about that. The embargo was on European Union member states themselves importing uh, Syrian crude. So Syria, under the EU sanctions, is still perfectly entitled to import crude oil. The, the, the embargo did affect European Union contractors who uh, intend to work on Syrian oil fields and, um, uh, and you know, help um, uh, extract and refine the products. But there is no embargo uh, on the part of the European Union that restricts Syrian imports of crude oil. So even on that um, basis, the, the British were completely wrong. So what we have now is that the UK which is uh, on the brink of leaving the European Union, suddenly jumps up and um, uh, appoints itself as the EU gendarme, enforcing uh, EU sanctions without the EU actually asking Britain to undertake this. And you can see this by the, the extreme silence with which the rest of the EU has greeted uh, Britain's actions. There's been no support from Brussels, not, not, not from Berlin, certainly not from Spain, on what Britain has done. So Britain is now going around saying, well, we're enforcing um, the EU sanctions, and the EU is really saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We don't need you to do this. So this, uh, you know, essentially act of um, piracy, which is what uh, Iran uh, condemned it as, and and rightly so. This is just simply seizure of uh, private property uh, of uh, Iran. Um, it was always going to be a, a serious problem. And Iran has given repeated warnings uh, to the British all of this time, saying, you know, give us back this tanker immediately, otherwise there will be repercussions. And it's obvious that there will be repercussions. I mean, it's a, a, you know, it's a humiliating situation for Iran to find itself in, um, that its uh, products are just simply uh, seized and, um, and, and they're not released. So the British, instead of releasing this, uh, these products, they start saying, well, um, you know, we'll release it uh, provided you give us a pledge that uh, you don't uh, sell this oil to uh, Syria. Well, Iran refused to do so because, again, you know, why should I Iran isn't answerable to the British government? It doesn't have to explain uh, to whom it sells oil. And secondly, uh, while Iran has uh, denied that it's actually selling the oil to Syria, Syria said Syria is not the um, uh, the destination of this oil. However, we refuse to tell you. Um, where we are selling this oil, because otherwise, you know, quite obviously, this country will then be placed under some kind of embargo, and the Americans will immediately attack this country and try to extend its sanctions against against this country. So, therefore, you know, Iran said, "We're not we're not answerable to you. We're not going to tell you where this oil is destined. Just release the tanker. 
release the oil and, you know, and that's all to it. And in fact, this hasn't happened. Instead, the court in Gibraltar has um, extended the um, impounding of the uh, tanker for uh, another month, and Iran retaliated. I mean, it was it was obvious Iran gave due warning, had said it will retaliate. I mean, there was you know you, you can't really say that this came out of out of thin air. Uh, it had repeatedly said this will not go unanswered. And, uh, and, and they said, you know, in fact, they'd warned that we will respond asymmetrically. In fact, they responded symmetrically, not asymmetrically. But nonetheless, they said uh, it will not, will not go unanswered. So now we have a real problem on our hands, because on the one hand, you know, we now have uh, an Iranian oil tanker held by the British in Gibraltar. Now we have a UK tanker uh, held by Iran. And obviously, the only way uh, out of this is for the British to release the tanker. And uh, I, I have no doubt whatsoever that if the British do release this tanker, then almost immediately the Iranians will uh, release the uh, the UK tanker. But of course, if, if that does happen, this will be a really humiliating climb down by the British. But there's no other real way for it because, you know, the British have kind of in, have intervened in this mess. This was a standoff between Iran and the United States. The UK, as you know, as one of the signatories of the JCPOA, had at least nominally held to a perfectly honourable position, which is we want to stick with the G- JCPOA. We we don't want to uh, to impose sanctions on Iran. We want to see if we can get around these um, U.S. sanctions and these, um, uh, particularly these uh, extraterritorial sanctions, though you know, the British haven't done much about it, but nonetheless, at least that's the official position. But instead of sticking with that position, they've gone, you know, you know full uh, speed embracing the line of Washington. And what's peculiar about that is that the Americans themselves have not behaved as recklessly as this. I mean, Donald Trump hasn't uh, demanded uh, the seizure of a, an Iranian tanker. Uh, even Bolton, uh, you know, ha- hasn't demanded the seizure of an oil tanker. It's the British who have done this. So the British have gone much further than the Americans have. You know, so the Americans are supposedly the really reckless blowhards, but it's the UK which supposedly wants to keep the JCPOA going. It's the UK that has um, uh, escalated the crisis in this fashion. And the question, the question is, George, and this is the big question, why? Why did the British make that initial move, uh, that act of piracy on the high seas? Some people might tongue-in-cheekedly say uh, they're getting back to their roots, a la Sir Francis Drake. You know, h- how do you fund the empire <laughs> through piracy right. on the open seas? Um, no, but but jokes aside, actually, it's not, it's not really a joke in this case. It has $120 million worth of crude uh, right. on on board there but uh, yeah. why why so who's who would benefit uh, for britain basically undermining the jcpoa position that really would drive a wedge between britain and the eu on this issue of the jcpoa certainly the united states wouldn't mind if britain's doing its dirty work off on the side a little bit off the books if you will for washington or israel mm-hmm. uh, certainly would like this uh, yeah. saudi arabia certainly would like this uh, from that point of view, and, and then and then judging by the uh, vociferous comments by Jeremy Hunt, 
foreign secretary who's running for conservative leadership. How do you see the motivation on this? Uh, what do you see going on as, as a p- potential, you know, who's calling the shots on this, George? Because I don't think it's just coming from Whitehall. I, I don't know, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. What do you think? Well, I think that this is is tied up with um, Brexit. So Britain is about to leave the EU. It's likely to happen now within the next few months. And at, at, when that happens, um, Britain will be pretty much alone in the world, no longer part of the EU. So there'll be all the greater incentive for the British to suck up as much as they can to the Americans. I mean, let's keep in mind that ever since the end of World War II, Britain has been punching above its weight. I mean, Britain is a, you know, a medium-sized power. It's, um, you know, of of a size of France, Italy. You know, its economy doesn't compare to that of Germany or Japan. But nonetheless, it's managed to fulfill a kind of a, a, a kind of a major role in the world almost entirely due to its uh, its alliance with the United States. And uh, being America's junior partner has given it as a kind of weight. I mean, there was Tony Blair standing next to George W. Bush, you know, the, the big two uh, leading the charge against um, uh, Iraq. Um, and any every military venture, you know, whether it's in uh, Libya or uh, the bombing of uh, Syria, always the UK was on hand to um, uh, you know, support the Americans and you know and encouraging them. This is this is it. We you know we're together. We're the, you know the two the two allies. And I think this is this this is probably where it lies that this 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 anxiety. Uh, within Whitehall as to what happens now, what happens when we're outside the EU, what kind of influence are we going to have in the world? Well, the only kind of influence we can have is through keeping the Americans happy. And though they may not like Trump, and in fact, they may well hate Trump, um, nonetheless, Trump is the only president they've got, and therefore they're going to try and keep in with him. And I suspect that you know Jeremy Hunt probably wants to be seen as the tough guy. I mean, as a, as a somehow, uh, you know, he's not some uh, weak-kneed um, internationalist, that he's, you know, he, he's as tough and as, uh, as unilateral as uh, Boris Johnson. So that may also have played a role. But I think the, the most important factor here is, and it's always been the case of the British, Never, never, never fall out with Washington. I mean, you've just got to keep in with them and keep them happy under any and all circumstances. It's interesting, uh, George, uh, looking at the comments by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and this kind of scripted language uh, that he always rolls out, uh, this sort of, you know, the the usual rap sheet against Iran. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're the the world's number one state sponsor of terror, etc. They're the source of all malign activities and influence in the region, in the world, etc., etc. And on and on the list goes. And so Jeremy Hunt uh, after his meeting with Mike Pompeo and before that, he met John Bolton. We saw the photo op on social media. Very fetching. Nice couple. But mm-hmm. uh, but Pompeo, after the Pompeo meeting, is repeating 
the script uh, word for word for what, what Mike Pompeo is saying. So I, I'm translating that, George, is that Washington is providing the script mm-hmm. to Jeremy Hunt, and he and he's reading the script. It's not the other way around. I don't right. think it could be the other way around. So I'm left with the conclusion that, yes, it seems as if Washington is, is delivering that script to the British Foreign Secretary. Uh, so they have to all be on the same page. Um, yes. This is very unusual, George. This isn't tradition. E- e- even with allies, there was always be some variation in, in, their, in their public <laughs> rhetoric and right. how they're addressing issues. But what do you make of this streamlined scripting on so many of these issues between the allies? Well, that's, an, that's very interesting. And I think it's uh, probably because the alliance is becoming increasingly frayed. Um, it's, it's getting harder and harder to keep the, um, the Western uh, allies together. And, um, and the American position in the Middle East uh, and in other places is, begin- is getting weaker and weaker. You know, compare, say, Russia, which over the past decade or so, has managed to maintain good relations with a number of key Middle Eastern powers. It's managed to have good relations with the Gulf states and with Iran, with Israel and the Palestinians. Um, and it's, Russia is now a, a very influential player in the Middle East. America's influence is in decline. I mean, America has its allies. It's, you know, it's Israel and it's um, Saudi Arabia. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's actually becoming quite isolated and is becoming more and more reliant on sheer brute force and bullying. It can't get its way as it used to through um, diplomacy and through um, you know, the usual ways of uh, coercing others through bribes and whatever. So that's why it's getting more and more uh, desperate. Uh, and so therefore there's much less room for any kind of um, uh, flexibility uh, among allies. Because you're absolutely right, because even in the, the heyday of the Reagan-Thatcher era, I mean, Thatcher didn't always go along with um, the Reagan administration. I mean, if you remember the invasion of Grenada, um, Thatcher was very um, unhappy about that. Um, so there was so, there were, they allowed a certain amount of room um, for dissent within the alliance, but I think it's now uh, the situation in the, the world has, has has really turned against the United States. You know, and I think you know, obviously, you know, the big the big elephant in the room is, of course, the rise of you know China as the major you know economic competitor. I mean, that that's you know the biggest influence there. But now it's just you know, the America really cannot afford to allow uh, countries to go their own way. I mean, look what happened in 2013 when um, um, there, you know, Obama was about to uh, launch a bombing attack on Syria. And then, lo and behold, uh, the British held a vote in Parliament, and the vote in Parliament went against military action. I mean, the American world just collapsed. I mean, they just, that, that's it. They just, they couldn't, they couldn't go ahead with it. If they don't have the UK with them, then um, all hope is lost. Like, they're, not, they're not able to undertake these military actions. So they, they just can't afford to have any, any uh, flexibility. You know, everybody has to be reading from the same script. And that, again, explains Pompeo's um, almost hysterical 
intervention in uh, British politics when he when he said, you know, we're going to go out of our way to prevent Jeremy Corbyn from coming to power, because then they're not, they're not, they're not even going to allow Corbyn to uh, be a kind of uh, I don't know, a kind of a, a leftist dissident within the alliance, a sort of Harold Wilson type figure from the 1960s. I mean, you know, so you know they don't, you know, then, then that that's out of the question. You know, they they want they want complete uh, subservience in uh, in number ten, and they're not going to allow any any kind of um, uh, dissent. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's uh, that intervention by Mike Pompeo uh, into British politics is uh, one of the most striking moves of bombast in international relations that I have seen, especially between supposed allies. Oh. Certainly, that's not how friends treat each other. But uh, so you can see how the factions are drawn; the lines are being drawn between these factions politically. But George, now with with Iran, here's here's another here's another aspect of this. That is new. This is a new uh, problem that we're faced with, with the advent of technology, uh, with the uh, uh, prominence of, of Twitter as a, as a news platform, as an information platform. Certainly, it's been well documented how the clandestine services uh, in the United States have used Twitter, uh, specifically with the Green Revolution in Iran in 2009, and used it as a conduit for uh, fomenting uh, popular uprisings in countries, uh, a la the Arab Spring and so forth. Now, with this week, Twitter suspended not one, not two, but three Farsi Iranian news agency accounts were suspended this week, shortly after the UK tanker was captured in the Straits of Hormuz. And uh, Twitter claims that this is totally unrelated, uh, that uh, they, I don't know if they've given, uh, made a statement as to why they suspended them. But I don't think it, I don't think it's a big leap, George, to assume here that uh, Twitter is uh, working hand in hand with either the U.S. State Department or the U.S. intelligence agencies. That's not a coincidence, George. What, what, what do you make of what do you make of a move like that? No, I think that's exactly right. I think trying to control the information space is immensely important because, again, it's going back to what we were discussing a moment ago. There's just, you know, there isn't really the kind of um, flexibility that is permissible because, um, you know, in you know, you know, back, you know, twenty or so years ago, uh, the U.S. government would say something, and um, and most people would accept it. Uh, the media would report unquestioningly claims by the U.S. government. They, to a certain extent, they still do so. But now there's just a lot more information available. People go to Twitter, and then they find alternative sources of information. So, you know, last uh, last week, um, uh, Trump announces that um, uh, the, the U.S. Um, shot down a um, an Iranian drone. Right away, you know, you, you, there's alternative sources of information. Tell us, well, that didn't happen. Iran says no. All of our drones uh, came back. Hey, look at this drone. Um, here's the footage uh, taken um, of the USS Boxer from by this drone. And if you look at the time on, on that drone, it it's filming after the US said that it uh, it had shot it down. Now, you know, back back in the day, as I say, just twenty or so years ago, you know, there wouldn't have been such a thing. I mean, most people wouldn't have been aware of um, uh, Iran. Um, making this claim and providing documentary evidence to support his claim. So this is a real problem. I mean, if you're trying to uh, generate propaganda, if you're trying to whip up the public for some kind of um, a major conflict, 
uh, this, is, this is a serious problem if uh, people aren't buying uh, the propaganda. And, and, um, and, and clearly the U.S. has been doing this for a long time. It's trying to whip up um, hatred uh, against Iran, as you said, with the, all the claims. You know, it's been responsible for all these acts of terror. But right away, people have other sources of information. And all of the claims about these terrorist incidents that are invariably ascribed to Iran are ridiculed. They're ridiculed within hours. You know, you go you go to Twitter or Facebook, and suddenly already there's um, any number of um, uh, outlets that are presenting uh, you know uh, information that's uh, ridiculing uh, Pompeo Bolton's claims. You know, like the the bombing of the the Saudi bombing in 1996 that Iran was behind that. No, clearly there's evidence that Iran wasn't behind that. The 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 1983 bombings in um, Lebanon. You know, the Marines in uh, Iran was behind that. No, Iran wasn't behind that. So this this kind of stuff is now becomes available all the time. So what do you do? Well, you have to close it down. And so, you know, you know Facebook and Twitter, it works with the government in closing them down and, and you know, using you know, this nonsense like, oh, these are, uh, these are fake accounts or wh- whatever. But ultimately, it is about um, the propaganda war. Um, and, you know, and how, you know, you're trying to mobilize the public uh, for a conflict that clearly the public doesn't want. I mean, it's, it's very unpopular. There's absolutely no support anywhere for any kind of armed confrontation with Iran. Um, the only people who are for it are these strange figures who are now in power in, in the United States. Listen to this, George. Uh, get a load of this. This was uh, the day after these three accounts were pulled down by Twitter. Uh, an official from San Francisco told AFP news agency that the uh, the accounts were blocked because of, get this, get ready for it, get ready for it, hold on to your hat. Uh, they are accusing these Iranian news agencies of coordinated and targeted harassment against the Baha'i religious minority faith in Iran. Right. At, at this at this right. time, at this exact moment, right? Uh, why did they choose last week or <laughs> to to shut these down? Uh, right. They could have done it at any point, you know. So again, using the religious minority argument right. there, yes. um, yeah, it doesn't seem credible, yeah. George. No, but that's also very interesting what what you just said because ultimately this is really um, the, the 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 way the U.S. wants to wage this war against Iran. I mean, I don't, they don't want the direct confrontation. I mean, that's too too costly and you know too bloody. Um, they want dissent and disintegration from within. So of course they are trying to encourage various minorities and um, a kind of um, irredentist movements um, uh, in Iran. You know, trying to stir up some kind of an Iranian spring and so on. So yeah, this Baha'i minority, and then of course there are Baluchi minorities. So it's very much this is this is the, the you know the the, the U.S. Um, uh, modus operandi, trying to stir up these minorities, and that way also. You know, they can get to be the good guys. Hey, we're, we're, we're on the side of um, self-determination. You know, we're on the side of uh, minorities being persecuted by these terrible people in Tehran. But this is really just all about um, trying to uh, foster disintegration with Iran. And, you know, that, that's really their, uh, their best bet. It's interesting, though, I, I thought you were going to bring up um, the, the, the Russian angle. Uh, I don't know whether you saw it today. 
the Sunday Mirror had a big splash of story that um, the Russians were involved in the um, the seizure of the uh, the British tankers, that the Russians were providing <laughs> G- GPS information to the Iranians, because, of course, there's no way in the world that primitive Persians could have fooled um, the British, so that it had to be that they were fooled uh, the British were fooled by um, uh, the, the fiddling around GPS, fiddling around by the Russians, and so it was. It was all wicked Russians who were really behind the the seizure of the uh, the tanker. So, and everyone can of go course, read course, it George. on the Sunday Mirror. Yeah, of course, George. Uh, you know, as we know that the Iranians are, are such a medieval country that uh, Xerxes uh, and his army were out there with their longbows, and that's that's just all that they could organize. They needed the Russians, George, exactly to come yeah. in with. Yes. Yeah. So, but just George, um, the last thing I'm gonna I want to get your comment on. This is actually quite interesting. The United States has announced it's going to deploy at first it was i think more thousand troops now it's 500 troops to the mm-hmm. kingdom of saudi arabia okay it doesn't it doesn't need to uh take much to say what the possible implications of this <laughs> might be right. uh, what what's your take on on this move by washington well again it's um it, it, all, all of these moves are really it's like a kind of a self-generating crisis now Everyone knows, I mean, everyone in Washington knows what happened when the uh, U.S. left behind uh, forces in Saudi Arabia. You know, and they all know the story of bin Laden and the rise of al-Qaeda and so on. So, you know, Bolton and others are, are perfectly aware of this. And again, I mean, if, you know, if, if this does lead to increasing radicalism in Saudi Arabia, great. And that's yet, yet another rationale for American uh, presence in, um, in, in the Persian Gulf. But the actual deployment makes very little sense because whether it's 500 or 1,000 or 1,500 or 5,000, what are they going to do? I mean, what, what, what mechanism do they have? to deploy these um, 5,000, you know, 10,000 troops against Iran. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. Any attempt to uh, invade uh, Iran will be defeated almost immediately. I mean, you, you know, the United States, to, to defeat Iran, it would have to use its strategic weaponry. And there's no stomach for that. So therefore, these, you know, few hundred or even a few thousand American troops will have no other outcome but destabilization and destabilizing the Persian Gulf and destabilizing the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Now, people like John Bolton, I mean, are perfectly happy with this because, great, we've now uh, got the, the justification for the next generation of uh, war against terror, war against uh, whomever. Um, and so, you know, we're good to go, you know. No, no, no need for any more talk about um, withdrawing America from the Middle East. And uh, specifically, George, uh, one of the risks here would be uh, Yemen has demonstrated, uh, at least the Allah or quote-unquote Houthis have demonstrated their capability to launch rockets and even yep. very low-budget drones to hit targets uh, well within Saudi Arabia. Yes. So could this, US, could this U.S. deployment be a type of a Cassis Belli? In other words, if they were hit by any Yemeni forces, that would trigger uh, more U.S. intervention directly in Yemen yes. at the time when the UAE is pulling out out. The Arab Emirates have announced they're pulling out. So is that a possibility here, George? 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely would be. Um, and that's quite likely to happen because it, Iran has a lot of uh, allies in the region. I mean, um, so this is this uh, this could very well happen that they, uh, they they will mount an attack. And and indeed, it's, it's quite possible that you know, Iran is capable of mounting attacks through its, uh, you know, its, its various uh, satellites, through its various decoys. I mean, you know, there's, you know, it has Hezbollah, it has its allies in Iraq, it has, the, you know, the, as you said, the allies in Yemen. Any one of them could launch an attack against uh, U.S. forces, and any one of them could launch an attack against Saudi Arabia. So Iran has it within itself to launch these kinds of attacks and maintain the plausible deniability because he will say, hey, it wasn't us. Can you, can you prove that, any, that these missiles came from Iran? No. So, you know, don't blame us for it. So it, it's a very dangerous game that you're playing. I mean, you know, Iran, you know one of Iran's allies could destroy um, an oil refinery in Saudi Arabia, destroy oil pipelines in Saudi Arabia, could destroy um, uh, desalination plants in Saudi Arabia. Any one of these things could be done, and Iran would still have a plausible deniability. So um, it, it's a very risky game. And, and as you say, I mean, it could certainly be uh, a course as ballet. And, uh, and, but, but again, you know, this would be what, a war in Yemen? Uh, I mean, this is precisely the kind of thing Trump said that um, he would avoid. You know, this is, this is he says this at every single rally. Hey, I've avoided all these um, uh, Middle East wars that have cost us seven trillion, sometimes seven trillion, sometimes seventeen trillion dollars. But he said, I, I've avoided them. Well, if he gets himself into a, a war in um, Yemen, then. <laughs> I think his his um, chances of re-election, you know, have fallen to uh, to zero. And also to add to that, lastly, I think uh, if any U.S. forces are hit by any stray Houthi rockets, they're not just going to blame the rebels in Yemen, uh, who may even be acting independently. They're absolutely going to blame Iran and use that as a pretext, uh, possibly to escalate tensions uh, between the United States. Its allies and Iran. That that's a surefire certainty. That's right. But again, that's a that's a huge, you know, that, that's a huge undertaking. I mean, this is. I mean, Iraq was difficult enough, but Iran is a is a huge country, a huge power. I mean, it's got extremely sophisticated military weaponry. Um, any kind of a conflict with Iran would be one of with very heavy casualties. So again. Um, you kind of wonder, you know, has has Trump really thought this through? But he, I don't think Trump really did think it through. I think um, to the extent that we can understand what was going on in Trump's mind, yeah. he probably felt Iran would just bend it. It would bend at the knee. I mean, he would, he would just, the U.S. would walk away from the JCPOA, impose sanctions, and then Iran would cry uncle and say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, let's let's renegotiate the deal. I think Trump really had no plan B what happens if um, Iran uh, rejects this and, and will instead turn the maximum pressure against the United States? I think that's quite likely, actually, uh, that those series of events would actually unfold. Uh, whether that's exactly what Washington wants or not, we'll wait and see. Well, we'll leave it there this week, George, but uh, a great, uh, great conversation and uh, really enjoyed uh, this discussion. Hopefully we can talk again uh, yeah, in the future yeah. as this, this and other stories develop. Thank you so much. 
Well, yeah, thank that you is for Doctor. Me. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Dr. George Samuelie joining us on the live link uh, with that analysis. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to connect our next guest on the other side. This is the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back after these messages. Just a part of it See some say I'm just a part of it See some say I'm just a part of it And I agree with you You may say We're just a mosaic of the lie just play it on our minds. Just play it on our minds. Just play it on our minds. 